Welcome back to the United Pubcast. You're with Larry and Tom. And oof, Tom, it just unfortunately it doesn't go to plan sometimes, but we've seen it here. Manchester United again back to that wishy washy form. Um, United are up 2 0. Lose in the world, not lost, but it feels like a loss. Manchester United 3, Everton 3. They share the spoils and the points. Tom, where did it go wrong for United? I think it went wrong in that first 30 seconds of the second half or first five minutes, whatever it was. Um, I think we were coasting throughout the whole game except for the that first five minutes of the second half and obviously the last kick of the game. So all in all, I have no idea where it went wrong because it was going so right for so long. And um, look, I'm sure we'll pick the bones out of the sort of the mistakes and the reasons for the goals. But after that game, I think the same with everyone, just left absolutely baffled at sort of what, sort of what transpired. Well, we did say it was a game where we did expect Paul Pogba to come back into the lineup, and come back into the lineup he did. And like you say, it, United had an excellent start to the game, were really controlling, had the clear-cut chances, and eventually we did bear the fruits of that. Uh, Rashford with an excellent cross to Cavani, who, again, with an excellent header and gets himself on the score sheet, proving himself. And I must say, the Uruguayan starting again uh, and proving why he should be. Um, an excellent finish, a striker's finish, but again, it's just unravelled. Who scored the second goal? I can't even. I can't think of it for the life of me at the moment. It was probably Bruno Fernandez's best strike in the oh, shirt. Of course. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm so miserable. I couldn't even. Rem- Can I say that that strike? Let's focus on the positives before we sort of get into the negatives. That Bruno strike. That's almost a strike that you expect from a left footer. Curling into coming off the right wing, chopping in. It's almost a Mo Salah finish. But Bruno Fernandez. He, the way he puts that into the back of the net, it's almost like he's going for a cross, but it's a cross to the top left corner. Phenomenal. And it was typical Bruno because, if we're being honest, he, he wasn't having a bad game, but he definitely wasn't his most effective. Let's just focus on the positives. Let's talk about the Portuguese goal. Yeah, look, you just mentioned the type of strike there, and it was. It's the most difficult type. I sort of always sort of imagine that type of shot from a free kick. When you have a free kick on that area, pretend it's a dead ball situation on the right-hand side for a right footer where the wall is on the near post, so the goalkeeper is actually covering the far post in that case. And um, very rarely would you actually try and go across the wall, across the face of the goal to beat the goalkeeper on his side. It's actually very difficult. So you almost have to get up and over both the wall and both the goalkeeper. And he's done it here, obviously, this is in play, which may be a little bit more difficult, but he's sort of seen the goalkeeper off his line, and it's not a chip, but it's not a drive. He just sort of he knows exactly what he's doing. I've seen one or two of his haters online say, oh, it's an overhit cross. But it's definitely, he knows exactly what he's doing, and he's weighted it to perfection. And it's just a shame, because as you mentioned, you forget the goal. And we should really be celebrating what a fantastic strike it is, but because of how disappointing everything turned out, sadly, we almost forget about it. Yeah, I agree with you, mate. The technique was phenomenal, and Bruno Fernandes didn't deserve the result. And I want to ask you, back to my original point, Paul Pogba did start. He comes off with a suspected injury. Has any news come out around how severe that is, by the way? No, I haven't. Well, got after the game, the last thing I wanted to do was read on Twitter or read the press conferences or anything. I just wanted to escape from everything regarding United, so I haven't seen anything, but... It's a type of one where it definitely looks like a muscle injury, and if that's the case, look, it does look like he's sort of pulled, like he's run, like he's doing a 50 metre sprint and does his hamstring. It doesn't look anything serious like that. It looks like it maybe it's a bit of a precaution. He's sort of felt something and didn't want to sort of make things worse, but you never know. It could be a few weeks, unfortunately. 
Well, as the Frenchman comes off, so it seems is Manchester United's ascendancy in the football match. Pogba comes off, Fred comes on, and I just felt that Everton's midfield took over the game from that point. Um, I don't know if you saw it the same way, but it just seemed that way. I I know because if you think of that, look, Everton definitely didn't, we didn't see it initially, but the second half, like you say, Everton come out firing and Manchester United just could not get a foothold again. Um, We saw Decore be heavily involved. He obviously got the goal. James Rodriguez was doing absolutely nothing and all of a sudden pulls out a moment of brilliance. Even heard the commentator suggesting um, he was, the Colombian was about to be substituted. They score goals in quick succession. So I want to ask you, do you think Pogba coming off, Fred coming on, did you feel United lost that midfield battle in in those early exchanges of the second half? I don't think it's a case of sort of losing the midfield battle in regards to the way Paul Pogba came off, but I think I put myself in pretend I was playing for Everton and what I would be feeling. And whether Paul Pogba was having a good game or a bad game, if I'm on the pitch and versing Paul Pogba, if he goes off the pitch and someone replaces him, I'm going to be happy. And Fred, fantastic player, that's fantastic. Bring him on, that's good. He's no Paul Pogba. And me as an opposition player will grow from that. I think, geez, okay, Paul Pogba's off. Now I can maybe do something. Now I can sort of get into the game where I wasn't able to do that because Pogba was on the pitch. And um, maybe there was just a case of that. Just, geez, okay, we're in this game. Now their best player has gone off because whatever you think, Bruno's sort of, he contributes so much. Cavani's so important. Rashford is so quick. There's no doubt. Well, all, everyone will always come back to the fact Paul Pogba is our best player. And that will only sort of... If, if that best player goes off the pitch, the other team can only grow in confidence, and I think that is what happened. Yeah, I'm with you. Let's look at it again now. So United managed to get themselves back into the game. Free kick situation. We actually score off a free kick. Scott McTominay continuing his excellent form from midweek. So that's two goals in two games for the Scotsman. And you felt like Manchester United might get away with it. The irony of Carlo Ancelotti... I mean, so Tuan's AB comes on. They, well, Everton get a free kick. They get the goalkeeper up. Tom, let, let's talk about the shambles that happens here. So there's a scene of errors here. First, Tuan's AB gives away a, a foul. You could be critical, but, I mean, you know, it happens. But just the way United dealt with that free kick, I think it was Luke Shaw. I can't recall who it's come off. It's full into Cavett Lewin's path. No one's marking him. And he, he finishes. Talk Talk to me, like... Do you did you have a chance to look at it? Do you blame anyone? I think it was Shaw and Fred who lo- who lose Shaw the initial and, exchange. It was Luke Shaw and Aaron Wan-Bissaka both went for it and didn't deal with it. And I've seen so much, and look, we'll definitely get into Harry Maguire's contribution. But I've seen a lot of things. Oh, oh Harry Maguire should have got his head on it and taken the, sort of the dominating approach and cleared that free kick as soon as it came in. First of all, it came nowhere near Harry Maguire. So he shouldn't be getting the abuse for that, nor should Luke Shaw or Wan-Bissaka. But Luke Shaw and Wan-Bissaka are the ones who don't deal with the header. Um, I haven't sort Agreed. of examined the replay and seen if they're really at fault for not winning it. The fact is they didn't win it. And I've seen Harry Maguire sort of getting a lot of abuse, which we'll get into, but him getting a lot of stick for keeping the players on side. So he's the deepest player when the free kick is coming in. United are holding the line and Harry Maguire is maybe a foot, maybe a metre further back towards goal, sort of anticipating and moving back. And so many people are saying, oh, why isn't he holding the line? He's keeping everyone on side. And I'm sorry, everyone is entitled to an opinion, but that is just a lack of knowledge of what he's having and a lack of experience of being on a football pitch defending a set piece. The worst thing for a defender in that situation, whether you're a defender or a midfield, but if you're on the defending team there, if you don't know what is behind you, it is the worst feeling when a free kick is being swung in. 
you watch Paolo Maldini, you watch Nemanja Vidic used to love defending deep. Rio Ferdinand, you watch any of the any of the best defenders, when that free kick is coming in, it is only natural to be coming back towards your own goal. You, you cannot stand still because if you're on the 18-yard box, you don't know what is behind you. The only thing behind you is 18 yards of space between you and the goalkeeper. Anything can happen in that space. The closer you come towards your goalkeeper, you know you're getting closer to the goalkeeper. So you know one thing that is behind you. You know your goalkeeper is there. But if you're up on the 18-yard box, there, you have no idea what's happening in that 18 yards. So Harry Maguire keeping pe- people on side, it is nothing. It should not be a criticism at all unless United will play an offside trap, which I haven't seen United play an offside trap in 15 years sort of thing. So, look, Maguire's criticism, because he definitely can't escape criticism, comes from the anticipation. He should end whether Luke Shaw and Juan Bissau should deal with the ball. Harry Maguire as the leader, as the captain, as, just as a defender in general, has to anticipate the worst-case scenario of that ball coming in and expect the ball to fall to Calvert-Lewin, and he hasn't done that. Calvert-Lewin has reacted quicker. And, look, Maguire should do better, but I think also David De Gea should do a lot better. I don't think he's brave enough. And I don't think... A lot of people say, oh, he's not brave enough, he needs to do this, and this sort of shock horror over De Gea's error. That's been De Gea's game since 2011. This is not a new thing, him not coming off his line. He has always been sort of a... sort of. I don't want to use it as a way to throw a stick at him. But he's always been as a bit of a weak, physical sort of stature of a goalkeeper. And he never comes off the line. He doesn't really challenge players. And everyone's saying, oh, look at this. This is why we have to get rid of him. Well, he's been this for the past decade. Today's mistake was nothing new on the second goal. And I don't mean the first goal, obviously. So, look, I've just gone through a catalogue of errors from the team. And I think going through every single player shows that it's a sort of a collective thing and not so much an individual thing. On the Spaniard, and I do agree with a lot of your comments there, but talking about David De Gea, look, after the game, I was feeling a little bit agitated, as you can imagine, and I did throw the question out there to say, maybe it's time for De Gea to potentially leave Manchester United. And look, I'm one to say, I I don't think I, I react over the top, but we've seen over the last, we're approaching three seasons now, and I will admit De Gea's had a better season, but it was it isn't what you'd call the prime David De Gea that we've gotten to know over the last three, four, five seasons post-Fergie, or even in Fergie's last season, it's a different David De Gea. It's one who has moments of brilliance, but still has these moments of vulnerabilities that I didn't feel were there. And yeah, I agree with you. He doesn't command his box. He never has. But the first goal, like that's atrocious from the Spaniard. Um, the way he just, he, it's it's clear in his head, he just didn't think, he wasn't aware of what was happening around him. He's taken a shot that he clearly could have caught. I, I don't know what was going through his mind, but it's a lapse in concentration. And then the last goal, while of course not his full responsibility, has no attempt to come out. He was basically a statue. Um, and look, he might not have saved it, but is it... Do you think it's potentially a time to have that conversation around should David De Gea be Manchester United's number one, given those inconsistencies, or is it just a rash reaction to what obviously was such a winnable game? Yeah, well, five minutes after the game, I think you can definitely have that discussion, and it's a sort of valid discussion five minutes after a game. But then we always, two weeks later, come to the result, okay, throw throw Dean Henderson in. Dean Henderson comes in and we think, Oh, geez, he's good, but he's no David De Gea. That's good. Okay, Henderson, you had your run out. David De Gea, come back in. You're you're our number one keeper. So I think it's just solely sort of in the heat of the moment because, look, we throw Dean Henderson in next week. What do you think is going to happen? 
He's going to do exactly what he did against Sheffield United a couple of months ago, kick the ball in his own goal after five seconds. That will happen because that is the life of a Manchester United goalkeeper replacing sort of one of the best. We saw that with Peter Schmeichel. He just couldn't replace him. We saw that with Van der Sar. It was hard to replace him. So, um, sorry, not hard to replace Van der Sar. We, that was a good day, but when we have De Gea, we know we're going to have a sort of a tricky situation filling his boots. Like We all love Dean Henderson. We want him to be that, but from what we see, have seen of him in United shirt, we always do sort of fold back to David Hay, I think, geez, okay, we have to give him a bit more time. He has been so good for us. We can't just sort of throw him out because we're a little bit frustrated. So, um, well, I think it's a weird situation now because Dean Henderson will come into the next game because it's an FA Cup game. So it's a weird one. But for mm-hmm. me, look, David Hay is still our number one goalkeeper. As you said, he has been very good this season. Um, it's just unfortunate sort of these mistakes do sort of sadly cost us, which um, I think drives the emotion up a little bit. All right, well, let's look further forward. Um, so, I mean, bef- so all right, where, where do we go with the defence? All right, look, Harry Maguire, clearly the one we, we want to discuss, the one who's copped the main spotlight. I, I will come to you, Tom, but I've I got to be honest. I thought he was poor, but out of our defenders, I don't think he was the poorest. I thought there was worse than Harry Maguire. For some reason, in my opinion, there's just this... There's just this trigger in a lot of Manchester United's fans' minds that should any mistake or should we concede any goal, it's the Englishman's fault. Now, in my opinion, Lindelof was much worse. He was vulnerable all game. And in fact, when it was nil all in the first half, he he was thanking God because we easily could have conceded off a mistake he's made. So... Please give me your thoughts, because I, I, for me, I, I didn't. I thought Harry Maguire. Obviously, all the defense was poor, but I thought Maguire was actually probably the best out of the rest of them. I wouldn't say Lindelof was poor. I don't think he was really at fault for anything. I think you take and you can't take them away because they're such pivotal moments, which ultimately sort of to, to sort of determine the result of the match. But take away the three goals defensively, we were fine, both on the ball and without the ball. I thought we were fine defensively, besides the three times we conceded a goal. And again, you can't take... That's when the players have to be at their best. But I, I, I thought we were fine. Lindelof was fine. Wan-Bissaka had a little bit of a shaky start but grew into the game. Luke Shaw sort of just continued his fine form. But again, a little bit shaky at the back. But nothing... There was no real howlers. I think the Maguire one was probably most at fault for me. I think even the first one probably looks worse than what it is. He does nothing... He has a decision to make Harry Maguire because... One, he's not going to keep up with Calvert-Lewin for pace. And that's not a criticism. Calvert-Lewin's probably got to run past a lot of defenders. But he gets into a position where Maguire looks so slow, but he has a decision to make. Either try and keep up with him, and he'll clip his ankles, and then he'll be in a David Luiz situation of being sent off, given away a penalty, and then miss three weeks through suspension. Or he can let him go and bank on David De Gea, not gifting um, Everton their first goal. So... Overall, I didn't think the defence was actually that horrible besides the three incidents where they need to do better. But on the on the whole, especially your criticism of Lindelof, I thought Lindelof was fine. Um, in, the big, in the big moments, it was Maguire who, unfortunately, needed to step up a little bit. And I say that as a huge fan of Harry Maguire. But um, I just, just think in those big moments, uh, I don't know what the issue was, what the issue is, whether it's a leadership issue, whether it's sort of a determination to get the result in terms of everyone switching off. I'm not quite sure. Okay, just... well, let me bring you back to that. Do you think he should be Manchester United captain? Have you seen enough uh, from uh, him? Uh, He's uh, been in that role for over 12 months. Uh, who else then? 
Well, I know we have our frustrations with Bruno Fernandes, but for me, he carries himself much like a leader. Scott McTominay is nearly the first name on the team sheet. Maybe he should be captain. Well, I don't know what the answer is, but it's it doesn't seem to be Harry Maguire. But look, look, we completely, completely agree, which we've had the discussion multiple times, but you look at, so, okay, Bruno Fernandes, which I agree in terms of our leadership role, is arguably our best leader. If you're having them sort of a your football manager stats or your FIFA stats, his leadership would probably be higher than anyone. However, I always come back to the point, if I'm playing in midfield with Bruno Fernandes and I do a mistake and he yells at me saying, do this, I'm thinking, hang on, you've been making mistakes for the past 25 minutes. So I think that will create friction. I think let him lead in his own way. So I take Bruno Fernandes out of the captain's debate and then I think, who? Are you going to reward David De Gea for his sort of sketchy form, some would say? There is absolutely no one, you could maybe say Edison Cavani, but then Edison Cavani's not going to play every week. He speaks a different language. Then you're going to say Paul Pogba. Is Paul Pogba's future away from United, so it's definitely not him. As you say, maybe it's Scott McTominay, but if we want to achieve that next, sort of make that next step in United's progression, I think maybe you need a better player in there than Scott McTominay, so there's no point making him captain. So at the moment, look, I know he's public enemy number one. It'd be Harry, Harry Maguire for me. Yeah, you, you know what, that you, you're probably right, but I think it just speaks to United's league position and this false sense of entitlement that some of our fan base seem to have. Let's all be realistic, and I think we do need to sort of taper expectations. Just because we found ourselves first for the best part of a month, this isn't a side that's going to win the Premiership. And in the top 10, we've conceded the most goals. We've also We've also scored the most, but... You know, we've always seen, and Fergie's famous for saying this, goals win you games, defence wins you titles. You can't win a a Premier League with the goals that we concede, particularly from set pieces. We are so vulnerable. And for all of Luke Shaw's plaudits, and rightfully so, still defensively vulnerable. So you have to say it's United still have a way to go. And I think that this is just a reminder to say to us all, while, yes, there's definitely been progression, we can't deny that, you're going to have these slips and we're just simply not the finished article yet. I go back to your initial point there and you say you do have to expect them and I 100% agree because, as you say, you go back to the start of the season, every single fan was moaning and complaining that the Glazers and Woodward didn't get Solskjaer, that defender, and we went into this this season with an understrength side hoping for a top four challenge, hoping maybe scrape a trophy, but it looked like... I remember sitting here saying... We always had podcasts, where do you rank our squad? And I think amongst all our listeners as well, a lot of us said about fifth or sixth and that sort of hoping for a top four challenge. Suddenly we're in this top two and suddenly the expectations should change. And there is no reason why they should change. Okay, we have to know what the tools we have at our disposal. They were overachieving. Solskjaer was overachieving. We're up against Manchester City, even if Man United were doing fantastic and had everything right. You look how right Manchester City have had, had things in the past 10 years. They should be ahead of us. Okay, they, they, they have everything at their disposal. They, they have the right structure. They have everything in place to succeed. We have nothing in place to succeed besides individuals. And I look at it and look, it was great being in there. And look, we're still there. We're still second in the table. But I think people need to sort of remember where we started this season and not use that as a stick to beat Solskjaer and the players with. Because even now, as frustrating as this loss it was against Everton, well, draw against Everton, but it feels like a loss, we're still in an amazing position compared to where we think we should have been at the start of the season. 
Yeah, 100% agree with you. And I think top four is an achievement. Um, we, we, I mean, I think if you asked most United fans, what would you expect of this season or what would you consider a, a success? It's solidify that top four spot and just be close the gap between first and where we finish. And I think United are on track to do that. Um, Tom, I don't want to touch on it too long, but I've got to say the abuse that we've seen online from Harry Maguire and Axel Tuanzebe after full-time, absolutely atrocious. Um, do you have anything you want to add to that? Uh, obviously, we don't want to dwell on it, but it is something that is happening, so we do have to bring it up. The thing that frustrates me, we can sit here and say, OK, they're not Man United fans, or whatever club it is, let's focus on Man United. We can sit here and say, they're not Man United fans because they're not truly supporting the club. They're not sort of getting behind the team in the way supporters should be. However... They're not abusing Liverpool players or they're not abusing Chelsea players or Tottenham players. They're abusing United players because they want men, these individuals want United to win and when they don't, they get frustrated. So whether you want to label that a fan, a supporter, someone who follows, they do have an attachment to Man United. And it just, they're bringing the name of the club down and I don't know, there is no answer to it because again, it is wider than a football issue. It's a, it's a society issue. But they, Man United fans around the world now have been labelled racist fans. And of course, that's not the case. It is a small minority of fans behind a keyboard. But there is just... I just can't get my head around it because... Especially on the eve of the, sorry, the anniversary of Munich, which we haven't even touched on. You look at it and think... Players were put in... Like Harry Maguire was put in sort of post, uh, post up of the Munich saying, forever in our hearts and will always be remembered, etc. And he's getting abuse and death threats under that post. And look, I'm not saying direct those sort of comments to his next post where he says, apologies about the result, we need to do better. I'm not saying you abuse him on that post either. But especially on the Munich post. Like surely that is just, just leave that, just like the tweet, and that's it. But people commented, oh, you need to do better, or you're a waste of money, or you're a fridge, or 80 million down the drain. All he did was send a message saying condolences to those who lost their lives in Munich. And he, people, and not just Harry Maguire, so Paul Pogba, Anthony Marshall, whoever it is, Axel Tuanzevi, one man, whoever's posting is just getting dogs abuse for simply paying their respects to sort of the greatest story of this club. And there's just no answer to it. It just frustrates me because so many people are angry at the result. And by all means, I'm 100% angry at the result. But I'm more angry at the reaction of fans towards the players after the match. 100%. It's pathetic. It's disgusting. And if you... I, I don't think anyone on this podcast or who listens to this podcast would do anything like that. But if they are, please find somewhere else, find another club to support, or maybe just don't follow football because you're scum of the earth if you write those sorts of things. All right, Tom, three, two, ones. Um, let's look. It was a three-all draw. We didn't lose the game. Hard to believe. And the, the first half was a brilliant game of football, if we can look at that in isolation. So who was your man of the match? Yeah, it's a hard one. If you take away that last five seconds, last kick of the game, we'll be having a very positive 3-2-1 discussion. Um, it's a weird one. I'd probably throw it back to you for three points. I'd be looking at maybe... Look, I thought Mason Greenwood was good. I thought Scott McTominay was good again. Um, Edison Cavani led the line well. Um, I just think that third goal for Everton just is a real kick in the teeth. It changes things for me. But performance-wise, I'd be looking at maybe... A, I'll throw Greenwood and McTominay in there. Yeah, I was actually leaning towards McTominay, um, only because I think that final goal, um, crucial goal, I mean, I know, obviously, we go in to concede so late in the piece, but in the context of the game, it, it was what we thought to be the winner, and everything he did was very steady in midfield, he played well again, 
Um, look, there's still parts of his game, obviously, where you do see that drop-off in quality. But I think he is definitely a leader. And he, he gets the goal. And I, I think without, obviously, his contribution, we wouldn't have been in a winning position. So I'm all for the Scotsman. I, I could obviously make it. I thought I could definitely make a case for Mason Greenwood. I thought he was excellent. I know he didn't score today, but he was really good. Um, I'm leaning towards McTominay. I don't think there's a right or wrong on this one. So are you in agreement or... Do you yeah, want to have no, a little I'll fight over it? Yeah, McTominay for three and Greenwood for two, definitely. I was hoping for a fight. That's okay. So in that case, Tom, since you've been or since you've lied down so peacefully, who gets the one point this week? I don't know. Would you go? Definitely no one from the defence. Would you be going Cavani? I thought Rashford was decent, but again, sort of sort of summed up with a bit of a Rashford performance. I'd say Cavani for the goal, and again, his work rate when the game doesn't go your way. Well, the game went our way for 94 minutes or 93 and a half minutes. But when the result doesn't go your way, you sort of lean back to things that little things like desire and work rate, and that's something Cavani always gives, and something you can cling to after a disappointing before, or sadly cling to after a disappointing performance. So maybe Cavani, and also a well-taken goal, that I'd be maybe scraping the bottom of the barrel. How about you? Yeah, I'm leaning towards Cavani as well. Um, you could say it's harsh on Bruno, but if I'm being honest, as brilliant as his goal was, I thought his all-round game wasn't very impactful so yeah I, I go Cavani think we're in a in agreement this for this match all right Tom looking ahead United need to get back to winning ways otherwise they're going to be out of the FA Cup but we do versus West Ham um I wonder if Jesse Lingard will play um interesting one to keep an eye on over the next few days but do you change anything if you're Solskjaer or do you just treat this like a you know you're in the ascendancy we're in a winning position for a majority of the match and you just treat that last goal as a, a bad sense of luck. Yeah, well, it's hard. I just spent five minutes saying don't drop David De Gea. He's our number one goalkeeper. I think it's a chance to, though, put Dean Henderson in. I wouldn't be shocked with that, and I wouldn't be opposed to that. I think Dean Henderson, while I haven't criticised him, I think probably does deserve a chance, even though yeah, he's definitely number two for me. At the back, I don't know who to change, because, uh, look, we all have questions over Maguire and Lindelof as the partner. Where's Eric Bay? Something happened? Where's Eric Injury? Bay? Stupid question. But look, again, we love Eric Bay, but we had this discussion five weeks ago when his good form started. You just had to enjoy those three or four weeks because sadly, and look, I love the guy, but that's all it was ever going to be. But let's face it, he was going to get injured again. It's happened. Uh, I think that is why the frustration around the January transfer window was so valid because you just knew what was going to happen. We're going to get into this position where we are in a title race or, or however you want to define this title race. And you just need that extra little bit just to help, just to get us over the line, which may have... Look, this cross came in from a free kick, to which conceded the third goal. Maybe that extra player, that extra defender could have come on and cleared that header. Unlike us, look, I like Tuan Zabi, but instead of bringing an inexperienced Axel Tuan Zabi on to close the game out, you bring in an experienced centre-back to close the game out. So, look, where's Eric Bay? That question stemmed from. Out injured again, so I don't know what you do at centre-back. You definitely can't bring Phil Jones back in. Maybe you throw Tuan Zabi in for Lindelof or Maguire, but... I. Look, you put money on it. Yeah, been unconvincing, but, hasn't he? Yeah, I think you've got to play Maguire and Lindelof. Again, Luke Shaw has been good. Oh, God. Luke Shaw has been very good, so it's hard to see Tellers coming in because I think Solskjaer will value the FA Cup when you... Look, West Ham are a very good team, but West Ham, you think we should beat them. Then in midfield, any combination, God, I'd be looking at probably... Look, you'd hope Matic and Van der Beek probably get a run, I think. What about you? 
Yeah, I'd go with that. I feel sorry for the Dutchman, I have to say. Um, just Again, just doesn't get any game time. Um, I think one that you can definitely say will start is Anthony Martial. Surprisingly, didn't come on today after a two-goal cameo um, last last match. So I think the Frenchman comes in. Um, I'd say at striker, I think Cavani will start from the bench on this one. And you'd probably say Rashford and maybe maybe a Juan Mata, maybe a Dan James. I'm well, not sure. It'll be interesting right. to see what Solskjaer does. Well, I should be all over this. I should know, but I have no idea. One Mata's missed the last three or four match day squads, or at least the last three. He, he's well, transfer window's closed. But he's so. never been in any of the training photos as well, so I don't know if he's picked up an injury. There's a contractual thing, or God forbid, who knows, maybe in the current world, maybe he's got COVID and hasn't been around the training ground, not quite sure. But, um, yeah, if you look at the bench, he hasn't been involved at all. Well, I'd support the Spaniard being, um, you know, getting some sort of involvement. I'd support him starting on the right um, against West Ham. I don't think that that's a bad idea, so... But we'll see. Um... Tom, uh, is is there? Oh well, you know what? One we could potentially say, Ama Diallo again, impressing yeah. um, in the under twenty threes. Do you think this could be an opportunity for him, perhaps off the bench? I think he'd, I think he'd definitely on the bench, and I think FA Cup. Do you get more on the bench? Do you get nine on the bench? Maybe I forget. But um, yeah, I'd be shocked. The, the two times he's performed in the under twenty threes, he obviously stood out. He's been scoring goals, grabbing assists. So um, look, if you can't get on the bench in a nine man bench for the FA Cup. Um, Look, he will. I, I'm positive Diallo. Whether he plays, that, that's another story. I, I'd sort of, I wouldn't put my money on it. But I think it's definitely worth throwing him on the bench, especially when you do see our, I wouldn't say lack of options up front. Obviously, you've got Greenwood, you've got Dan James, you've got one matter, you've got Donny van der Beek can play there, plus the usual Cavani, Rashford, Martial. So we've got plenty of options there, but it's still just lacking that something different. And Diallo is obviously mm. that something different. So I'd be shocked if he's not on the bench. Yeah, well, last game against Blackburn, um, I actually ended up catching some highlights of the game. Three really good assists and a goal himself. So really good performance. Good left foot. Um, very quick over the t- initial 10 yards or so. Rapid. Um, I'd, I dare say he might even challenge Rashford and Dan James over just over that initial short burst. But one that I'm definitely keen to keep an eye on. And I think we'll leave the podcast there, Tom. Um, anything to add? Look, I love this chat. I always love chatting to you, Larry, but the last thing I wanted to do today was to sort of review that match and talk to you about the 3-3 draw. It's an absolute killer. I was enjoying my weekend. Sunday morning, for a nice brekkie over Sunday morning, and um, United do what United do, didn't, don't they? They do, but it's all right. I mean, if they don't keep your blood pressure up, you know, something else will. So just got to roll with it and... We just roll into the FA Cup this week. Hopefully, when we come back midweek, um, we'll be discussing progression. So, a, a good opportunity to win a trophy. But nonetheless, thank you again to our listeners. Make sure you do subscribe. Make sure you do give us a positive review if you do listen. You know, we do appreciate it. It just means more people get to interact with us. And obviously, that is what we want because we're, we're fairly happy people when we don't lose 3 all or lose 3 all. There you go. I, I summed it up. I can't speak English, but... You get what I mean. It definitely felt like a loss. But let's roll, um, Tom, and we'll see how we finish. Hopefully some progression in the FA Cup midweek. All right, fingers crossed, mate. All right, cheers. Cheers.